Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theology and Worship Podcast. Here, we exist to equip worshipers for spirit and truth worship. Today, we are continuing our series on the will of God, and we're going to be talking about the question, does God know the future? Does God know the uh, pre-destiny of where we are going to go before we go there? Does he know what kind of cereal I'm going to choose to eat this morning for breakfast? Does he know what color car I will buy? Does he know who I'm going to marry? Does he know who, what kids I'm going to have, what I'm going to name them, and their destinies also? And at the, the root of this question is, is that word destiny? When we talk about predestination, we're saying that God predetermines a destiny for humankind, or really all creation. And so I think it's a good conversation to have. I think uh, understanding how God interacts with destiny, how God interacts with our future, uh, how God uses the past to create the future that he intends, I think these are important questions, and I think it, it comes down to a correct theology of God uh, to think through these things and talk through things, these things. That being said, I have seen this issue divide uh, families, brother from brother, mother from son, <laughs> fathers and mothers. Uh, I've just seen it be a very divisive topic. Um, even when I was in seminary, there was like, it, it was a very um, Arminian school uh, where I first went to seminary, and I'll explain what that means in a second. And amongst the, uh, the students at the school, there was this small section of Calvinists. So these these are the kind of the two differing views, Calvinism and Arminianism. And Calvinism, Calvinism was, was considered a heresy at the school that I went to, so they actually had to hide and have like private um, Bible studies and studying the sovereignty of God and stuff. And I just remember all the Calvinists that I knew, they were very aggressive people, very smart people, um, seemed to be domineering how, how smart they were over Ar- Arminius, and so... I just had a bad taste in my mouth right away, and I actually separated from that group uh, as a young follower of Jesus. And so I've just I've seen this argument do so much damage and divide so many people that I just want to start out by saying any theology that divides you from the rest of the church is an incorrect theology. At the foundation, Jesus loves the church. He came for the church. He died for the church. He resurrected for the church. His greatest prayer on earth was that the church would be one as he and the Father are one. And so we are looking for true theology. Truth is going to unite us. Now, that does not mean that we have to agree on everything. It doesn't. In fact, it's disagreements that push us to study. It's disagreement that pushes us to get into our Bibles and read about the God that we serve and take theology seriously. It's because we do kind of disagree in some realms. So I just want to start by saying this topic is not meant to divide. It's really meant to bring us together. Now, when it comes to the sovereignty of God, there are basically three views. Now, I'm sure there are more, and this is a very nuanced conversation. And as I was kind of uh, re-upping on some of this stuff, you know, I have hundreds of verses 
to back up each one of these uh, thought processes. And I'm pretty sure that in the, the end of days, when we stand before God, we're going to ask him, you know, what's the truth about predestination? And he's going to give us an answer that is going to drop us to the floor that we will just never understand. But I think it's fun to talk about. And the Bible does say it's for kings to search out the mysteries of God. So here we go. Three basic views about the sovereignty of God. Number one is Calvinism. And this is what uh, uh, Wikipedia says about Calvinism. I think it's a pretty good definition. It's the Protestant theological system of John Calvin and his successors, which develops Luther's doctrine of justification by faith alone and emphasizes the grace of God and the doctrine of predestination. First thing to realize in that definition, and this is the reality of it, is that this is a reaction to the Roman Catholic Church. This is a Protestant, or or the the ones who protested the Roman Catholic Church. We're talking about John uh, Luther and others. Um, These are the guys that started reading Romans for themselves, realized that the way that the Roman uh, Catholics were controlling um, people and keeping the Word of God from people was not right. And it was Luther who, st- who stumbled upon the justification by faith alone. And this is something that the Bible teaches uh, thoroughly, that we are justified only as we have faith in God. Now, Calvinist is going to say that that faith is placed in those whom he's predestined. We're going to talk about this uh, in the podcast coming up, too. We'll dig into Romans 9. We're going to dig into some fun stuff. This is just kind of uh, to get us the basics here. Um, but we... Uh, faith is a gift that's given to us by grace. We are dead in our sins. We cannot even turn to God. Uh, there's nothing in us that wants God. All our righteousness is like filthy rags. Um, that's what the book of Romans teaches. And so uh, Luther and then Calvin came to the viewpoint that faith is a gift that comes from God alone. He resurrects our our sinful soul and that gives us the truth, and that's the only way that we can even come to faith. That's basically the belief of Calvinism. Secondly, you have Arminianism. Arminianism basically says this. It's a liberal reaction to the Calvinist doctrine of predestination. That's important to note that Arminius are reacting to Calvinists. It's also important to note that all of this started to come about in the 15th and 16th century. So if you were to ask, was Paul a Calvinist? No, Calvin was not alive. He would not be alive for another 1,500 years. Um, you know, was was John Wesley uh, an Arminian? Well, no, probably not. Uh, these guys were probably following Jesus, reading their Bibles, and trying to understand God the best that they could. So, number one, it's a reaction to Calvinist doctrine. Uh, the movement began early in the 17th century and asserted that God's sovereignty and man's free will are completely compatible. So the Arminian belief is that we have the freedom to choose whether to have faith or not. Even though we're dead in our sins, we still have the ability to choose because we're made in the image of God. And I'm really trying not to straw man argument here. I want to I want to give a, a good uh, basis for each one. Um, so we are created in the in the in the in the image of God. Therefore, we have the right to choose. We can choose God. We can choose not God. We can choose the ways of God. We can choose the ways that are that are not God. We can choose Jesus, or we can choose other religions, or non-religion, or atheism, or whatever we're thinking. Um, we have the freedom to choose. It's fully one hundred percent in our power to decide our destiny. Um, this works with God's uh, will because God is going to accomplish the things that he wants, but he's going to allow us to choose our destiny. Certainly, this is how life feels. 
Um, this morning, I decided to have plantain chips for breakfast. That's a decision that I seemingly made. Uh, it's my free choice. I decided to do this podcast. It was a decision that I made. So this this definitely fits with um, the worldview of uh, humanity, but does it fit with uh, the Bible? That's for your uh, for you to decide at some level. There is a third view, and it finds itself right smack dab in the middle. Uh, this view is called open theism. So you've got Calvinism, Arminianism, and open theism, or open theology, or the openness of God, this would also be called. This basically uh, ascertains that because God loves us and desires that we freely choose to reciprocate his love, he has made his knowledge of and plans for the future conditional upon our actions. Though omniscient, God does not know what we will freely do to do in the future. Um, So this belief basically says, um, and it kind of gets a little more nuanced than, than even this definition that I just gave, but that God is constantly reacting to our actions to bring about the world that he has uh, decided will be. Um, basically, uh, open theism also kind of um, declares that God makes these prophecies in the Old Testament, and he's going to bring anything that he promises, he will thwart the will of man to accomplish. But there are a lot of things, like the destiny of human, of individual humans, that he will leave in our control and react as we kind of create the future um, that we create for ourselves by the choices that we make. So it's kind of both are happening at the same time. The sovereignty of God to, to make things like Jesus dying on the cross, resurrecting, those things are going to happen. There's nothing you can do to thwart those. But the individual uh, humanity of me deciding, you know, will I be a Christian? Will I follow Christ or will I not? Uh, he's going to leave those up to us. Uh, things like the virgin birth, even if Mary was like, no, I don't want to have this kid, she would have that kid. Uh, he's going to make that happen because that's something, or he's going to choose somebody else to make that happen because that's something he promised in Isaiah 9, right? So, um, that that that's something he's going to bring to pass. Whereas, you know, does Tyson, you know, have a bowl of Cheerios this morning? Will he ri- drive the red car, the black car? Those things live in my domain. So those are the three basic views. Um, you know, we're already pushing ten minutes now. So, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk more about um, this idea, but I kind of want to just hint at my view. My view probably falls in between open theism and Calvinism. Now, I would never say that I'm a Calvinist, uh, that I'm of Calvin. I just wouldn't say that. Number one, the Bible says, don't say you're of Apollos, don't say you're of Paul, don't even say you're of Jesus, you know, because that was the trump card they were using in the first century. Just be someone who follows after Jesus. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to know his truth. Um, I'm not of Calvin. Calvin did a lot of shady things um, in the name of, of, you know, of all that he believed, and so I'm not of Calvin. Um, but I do kind of land somewhere in here, and kind of here's, here's the basis for what I believe. Romans chapter 8, and Romans is the great book on salvation and grace and getting a good uh, soteriology or understanding of salvation. I mean, this is a great place to start, the book of Romans. Paul, he, he eloquently lays out the entire gospel uh, and, the, and the depths and riches and its Old Testament roots and the continuity from the Old Testament, it's, it's all laid out in, in Romans. I strongly recommend just a full read of that book a couple of times a year. But, you know, Romans 8.28 is one of the most famous verses, you know, on the planet for all, uh, uh, 
for God works together all things uh, for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You hear that all the time. But a lot of people omit the next verse, which says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good that he was talking about all along. It wasn't cars falling from the sky. It wasn't that he'd remove you from your hard thing, but that he would be faithful to bring you through the hard thing for the eternal purpose that you would look like Jesus. There's a couple of hot topic words here, though. For those whom he foreknew, and in the Greek, that word foreknew means foreknew. For those he knew beforehand, he also predestined. And that word in the Greek means predestined, determined before, is what that word means uh, uh, specifically here. Um, So for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. Now that word conformed is an action word. It's saying that you are being changed by a hand that is not yours, and it is some at some level, out of your control. So by those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, how do I know this is about destiny? Besides the fact that destiny, the word destiny comes from, or predestined comes from destiny. If you read the next verse, and those whom he he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. These things have been accomplished already. You have been predestined because you are called. You've already been justified. That's just as if you have no sin, and you've already been glorified in his sight. And that word glorified is doxazo in the Greek, which is the same glory that God has. From God's perspective, this has already been accomplished. My belief, lying between open theism and Calvinism, is that by God's foreknowledge, he has already decided the destiny of his people. We're going to talk about double predestination and does God will that people go to hell. We'll talk about that in the upcoming episodes. But for this beginning episode, I want you to understand that my view is that God is outside of time. Time is a attribute. It's an attribute of the universe. You know, Einstein theorized that time was flexible based on how fast you were going, uh, that time is this, it's this attribute that exists within our universe. Well, God is outside of our universe. He created our universe. I think he created the concept of time. I think just being an infinite being means that time is completely and uh, it's utterly different to him than us, and he is outside of time. It's like he's watching this parade from a helicopter. We're standing as just a person watching each part of the parade as it goes by, and we're saying, look at this float, look at this float, look what's happening here, look what song they're singing here. But God is like from a helicopter seeing the beginning from the end, and he's making decisions based on that. So he's always interacting with his um, understanding of the future, and then he is making things happen according to what he foreknows. He understands the decisions that he makes. He understands the outcome of those decisions before he even makes those decisions, so he decides which decisions to make based on the outcome that he wants by his foreknowledge. I also believe that uh, the eternal destiny of Christians is to look like Jesus. I'm less concerned with heaven and hell than I am with our people looking more like Jesus in the end. And, you know, I believe that you can't lose salvation, that it's yours, and that it is a gift from God, and that when you have that, 
um, when you are saved, it's something that God has, has, has started. It's something that God has also finished, as we see in Romans 8.30 here. You are already justified in his sight. You are already glorified in his sight. You can stand in that surety, that inheritance that belongs to you with the deposit of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. You are, in fact, his. It is a done deal. Nothing can separate us from that, not even our own bad theological views on the uh, destiny of, of, our, of our souls. So that's a little tidbit of what I believe. We're going to get uh, more involved here, and I'll have a lot more Bible. And again, this is a conversation. Let's talk about it. If you disagree, disagree. All right. See you guys next time.